The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. I am forced to perform. I still believe there's a real me somewhere far underneath this act I'm putting on. So if I show who I am, what if they hate what I can never change? And so one more time, I step back onto the stage. I wish I could stop it, but the show must go on. It's time to begin the act. Hey, my name's Matthew Culver. I've been a Christian my whole life. Near the end of my senior year of high school, I started to feel kind of sick in my stomach. Ended up going to the hospital at the University of Maryland Medical Center and um, they found out that I had a tumor. They went in there, they took it out and they did a biopsy and they found that it was cancer. I immediately started chemotherapy and all of a sudden my entire life was just completely rocked. I had to go through cancer and I never escaped any side effects or any pain or anything like that. And as a result, I started to have intense stomach pains. I had to go back to the hospital um, and basically was told, you're going to die very soon because your intestines are poisoned. So I definitely was not in a place where surgery was necessarily also the safest option, but I didn't have a choice. Uh, they said this was an emergency and we had to do it that day. It was just a milestone for me because this kid who'd been acting his whole life literally faced death. And how do you react to life crushing crisis? How do you react to difficult, painful news? How do you react to loss, to tragedy, when life seems like it's gone terribly wrong. Most of us react in one of many ways. We ignore it, we kick into denial, and go through life pretending, acting, like everything is gonna be okay. Others, you live in fear. Right now, fear has gripped your decisions. Fear has gripped how you parent. Fear has gripped how you spend, how you think, how you go through life. Others of you, you fought back. You have decided to fight to survive as long as possible, holding on to every fragment that life has left. It's the ultimate act, isn't it? That we pretend like we're fully alive while knowing that our life is headed toward an inevitable ruin. And how do you react when others are walking through life devastating crisis? If you're probably, if you're anything like me, you stumble through trying to find the right words. You say awkward things, you say uncomfortable things, you're not even sure you believe it when you say it, you go, everything's gonna be okay. It's gonna be all right, you're gonna make it through. And when the words come out of your mouth, you don't believe it, it's an act. We paint over the, the pain, pretending like everything is okay, while inside, we ourselves wrestling with our own finality and the reality of death. And so, how did Jesus respond to the reality of death? How did Jesus, God in human form, respond and react to his inevitable death? Jesus had predicted he would die. He predicted when he would die, where he would die, and who would kill him. In only a few days, Away from his own death, he gathered his closest friends and followers together, and as they gathered, they became a crowd. And in that crowd, Jesus noticed those that were plotting his death. He looked them in the eye and he spoke right to them. 
He pierced through the actors on a stage and he called them out. And this moment is captured. It's written down in a narrative by multiple authors. One of them named Matthew became a friend and follower of Jesus. He stood in the crowd that day as Jesus was speaking some of his last teachings. Matthew captured the moment later in life. He sat down and he penned the story of the life and teachings of Jesus. It was passed down and eventually ended up in what's called the Bible, but really it's an eyewitness account of a guy named Matthew, at least one part of it, where in the middle of his teaching, Jesus looks at those who were preparing to murder him and he says this, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. That's, that's a, just, he's calling out this group of people, these Pharisees, that was a title given to these religious elite. You hypocrites. Now, today the word hypocrite is used in a pejorative way, but back then it simply said, he was simply saying, you actors, hey, you performers on a stage. What are they performing? The ultimate act. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Today, sickness is reserved for hospitals and death for funeral homes and cemeteries. It's tucked away and often unseen. But in Jesus' day, in ancient times, the sick were nursed laying in their own beds. And imagine a studio apartment. Everybody lived in one-room homes. And so the sick were laying next to you. Those you love that were dying laid next to you as you went to bed at night. And you nursed them into their death right in your own bedroom. And when they died, they laid in the bed. Family members and the whole community came to see them and grieve their death in your home. Death was close. And when they buried a person who had died, they didn't tuck them away in a cemetery. They were buried in tombs in your own backyard, in your kid's play area, in the community neighborhood park. The tombs were scattered. And so what they would do is because there was a Jewish tradition, Jewish law, that you couldn't get near a dead body. If you brushed up against death, you were made unclean. There was something contagious about the sickness of the dead that you couldn't get too close or you were pronounced unclean. And what it meant to be unclean was that you had to isolate yourself from the whole community. You certainly couldn't gather as part of the religious ceremonies of that day. And so you were isolated and so nobody wanted to be unclean. So you avoided the dead and anything that had touched the dead. And so here's what they would do. In order to avoid you touching an occupied tomb, they would paint them bright white. So you knew to steer clear. And so a bright white tomb looked like a monument, but in reality, it was a flashing light saying steer clear, death is here. And so you avoided it like the plague. And what Jesus was saying to these religious elite was that while you look like you've got it all together on the outside, you've painted over your pain and you're pretending in an act like everything is okay, while on the inside you are decaying. There is a contagious corruption spreading and growing on the inside of you. And anyone who touches you 
touches your corruption, a metastasized death that is growing and spreading inside of you. It spreads into your emotions, into your thinking, into your relationships, and it's corrupting and destroying the world around you. That's right. What Jesus was saying was that death is a symptom, not of disease or of a sickness that a doctor can label, but of something deeper, something far deeper, a spiritual sickness. It seems today that death is the ultimate enemy and the ultimate end, but what Jesus was saying was that there's an enemy far deeper and an end far greater than death itself. So that's why Jesus wasn't just speaking to the religious elite or the crowd of that day, but he was speaking to us today. His words transcend 2,000 years and they confront us that we are like the religious elite. We paint over our pain and we enter the ultimate act pretending like we have it all together, but facing not just an inevitable ruin, but wrestling with our own contagious corruption and metastasized death. See, that's why you can never experience the fountain of youth because no matter how long you live on this earth, you're only living through your own corruption and metastasized death. We can't live forever on this earth because there is a greater thing than death itself. There is this thing called sin. That's the spiritual sickness and it spreads throughout every aspect of who we are leading toward an ultimate ruin, not physical death, but a forever judgment. That's the bad news. But Jesus came not to give bad news, not just to recognize the contagious corruption or the contamination that's growing inside of us. He didn't come just to call out the metastasized death, but to face our fight with death. And so as the story continues, Matthew captured the moment where Jesus was arrested and tried and sentenced to being crucified. And here he is, it's Good Friday afternoon and Jesus is hanging on a cruel Roman torture device called a cross. Matthew chapter 27, verse 35, it reads, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. They stripped him naked. They abused him and hung him on the tree and sitting down they kept watch over him there and above his head they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. It was a mockery, it was a statement. We have killed the king who is above all kings. This man who claimed to be God is now dead. And now his final moment. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks split. See, when Jesus died, he died in a way that none of us could have ever died. We die a natural death and then go into our eternal ruin, but Jesus died and he died not only a physical natural death, but a spiritual, supernatural death. And the earth reacted to the death of God by quaking and shaking and rocks splitting open. Because Jesus died for us. Here's Jesus' death. God came to earth, he stepped from his throne in heaven into our earthly home, where he took on the clothing of man for a mission to die. His death was no accident. His death was his destiny because he died in our place, facing our fight with sin, 
corruption, and eternal judgment. Jesus took all of our sin, the judgment and debt that we owe for what we've done wrong, he took the collective eternal judgment we deserve and he put it on himself. And as he hung on the cross, he was absorbing the full blow, the full weight, the full debt of our sin, our guilt, our shame, our eternal judgment, so that when he breathed his last, we through faith could breathe our first. When Jesus died, he offered us life. See, he faced down our fight so that we could be freed to truly live. So when Jesus absorbed our guilt, our shame. He was offering us the gift of life so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sin and given the promise of forever life with God, the promise of a love from God so that you are no longer viewed in your own life as God is against me, but now you know God is for me and God loves me. He forgives me and he has given me a new beginning through faith in Jesus. When I recognize that Jesus died, I recognize he died for me. And this, this moment where it says the veil was torn in two, I know. It's hard to even understand what's going on in this moment, so let me put it in context. In the Jewish temple, there was a curtain, and it was a blaring statement. It was a reminder. Every time you went to the temple, it was a reminder that there was a gap, a separation between us and God. The curtain was put up to separate the place where people could come to worship and come to sacrifice and come to pray from that place called the Holy of Holies where they recognized that God's presence was. But it was constantly a reminder that there was a gap between us and God, a, a separation, a barrier, a wall. And so when Jesus died and that curtain was ripped in two, it was this heavenly statement that what separated you from God has been removed and now now you and I have access to God. And if that was the end of the story, that's a pretty amazing story, but that's not where the story ends. It actually continues. It hasn't even reached its climax yet. So let's jump just a few verses to Matthew chapter 28. This is the turning moment. All of history hangs in the balance of what happens next. Jesus is crucified. They take his body off the cross. They bury him in a tomb, hit the fast forward button. We get through three days and now it's Sunday morning. And Matthew 28 says this, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and the earth quaked at Jesus' death. And now the earth quakes in celebration. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And there's this little gap moment where now Jesus walks out of the tomb. Death, it seemed, had stolen life itself from God, but my God reached into that tomb and robbed the grave. And the angel answered and said to the women who finally arrived, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen. As he said. <laughs> if you don't know the power of this moment, let me be very clear to you. All of history changed in that moment. Up to this moment, death gets the final word. 
But when Jesus rose from the dead, he gets the final word. It is finished and he is risen just as he said. Now check it out. Jesus said, he predicted when he was gonna die, how he was gonna die and who was gonna kill him. But he didn't stop there. He said in three days, I will rise from the dead. Hey, look, if you tell me when you're gonna die, how you're gonna die and who's gonna kill you, you got my attention. If you tell me that in three days you're gonna rise from the dead, I'm gonna think you're either crazy or God. And Jesus rises from the dead. And he says to them, come see the place where the Lord lay, where they had put his body, because he's not there. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Spread the news. Indeed, he is going before you to Galilee. He's going to get there before you. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear. Maybe like some of you feel right now. And great joy. Hopefully that's what you feel as you begin to consider the reality of Jesus risen from the dead and ran to bring the disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them. Jesus wants to meet you here. And when they saw him, they met him and he said, rejoice. So they came and they held him by the feet and worshiped him. Here's what I want you to know. This is the greatest moment in history. When God becomes man, he clothes, clothes himself in humanity and suffers our death, our eternal judgment, but death couldn't hold him. And so he rises from the dead, conquering death, conquering the grip of sin and giving us victory over eternal judgment so that anyone who believes in him not only receives forgiveness of sin, but the promise of new life because Jesus didn't come back to live back to life so he could live forever, but that's so we could live forever. In fact, that's the whole point. That just like Jesus experienced the resurrection, he gives us the gift so that we can experience resurrection life. That's what I want you to take away from this moment, from Easter Sunday morning, is that you and I can experience what Jesus experienced. We can experience resurrection life. See, Jesus' life didn't end in death. Death ended in life. What seemed like a victory for hell on Good Friday became the power and the celebration of heaven on Easter Sunday morning where death itself died and was buried in the darkness of a tomb. And Jesus arose with a magnificent light. The earth quaked and responded to the victory of God, a victory that he gives you as you experience resurrection life. And when you experience resurrection life, it changes everything about the way you see everything. It changes your perspective on how you live today. In fact, Jesus had a way of showing up late to funerals. Just a little thought. He showed up a couple days late to his own funeral. And he decided that instead of a funeral, he wanted a party, and so he walked back out of the tomb. He showed up a little late for another funeral. His friend had died, and he showed up a couple days late. His friend Lazarus, and I'll give it away, he brings Lazarus back to life too. But when he gets there, everyone's still mourning and grieving. And he pulls aside the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and he leans over to them and he says, I wanna tell you something. And this moment is captured by another eyewitness, John, who is standing there watching the moment unfold. And later in his life, he writes it out. 
Around 90 AD, John writes out the story of the life and teachings of Jesus, and he captures it in John chapter 11, where a couple days late to a funeral, Jesus pulls aside the sisters of Lazarus, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whomever lives and believes in me will never die. Some of you, you came in here and you needed to hear that. Others of you, you got dragged in on Easter Sunday and you're kind of like, man, what did I get myself into? I want you to know the God who created everything. And although sin had corrupted us and sentenced us to death and forever judgment, God entered into our world, willingly embraced our death and then rose from the dead to give us the promise that we would never die. What does that mean for you and I? It means that when you understand that you can experience resurrection life, it means that you know that you will live for eternity. The secret, you will live forever. For those of you that believe in Jesus by faith, that living forever means you live forever with God in paradise. So, so how does that change how you see the world around you? It changes how you see yourself. Check this out right now. Here's what happens when you believe in Jesus by faith. God's spirit, which is eternal and invisible, enters into your spirit, which is eternal and invisible. It doesn't, he doesn't enter into your mind. He doesn't enter into your physical body. He enters into your spirit and something spiritual happens because it was a spiritual sickness that was metastasizing in death. It was a spiritual sickness that was causing a contagious contamination and corruption. So God's spirit enters and cleanses us with the spiritual transformation. And just like that sickness was metastasizing in death, God's spirit puts in us an eternal seed that begins to grow and spread roots. And as it grows, it emerges in our life and that eternal life produces fruit the fruit that is the promise of peace and hope and joy and God's love that's coming out of us. Now check it out. When you understand that God's spirit enters in and plants an eternal seed in you, then you understand that your life is a seed. Imagine, it's gonna be a silly metaphor, but imagine your life like an acorn. And all of us acorns scattered on the ground. You know what we do, most of us? We try to be the most well-dressed acorn. And we try to be the most muscular acorn and the wealthiest acorn and the most, we, the, the acorn with the greatest stuff. And we compete to climb up all over top of the other acorns to be the most visible and the most seen, most popular and the most famous. We're acorns that make the news and acorns that make the money and get the positions. And we all avoid dirt covering our acorn seed. But I want you to know this, when that acorn finally enters the ground and is buried over, it doesn't emerge into eternity a little acorn with cherub wings. You're not all gonna be a bunch of acorns floating around in heaven. I know you all have a, we all have a weird image. Our kids ask what it's gonna be like when we get to heaven. The way best to capture this is that right now you're trying to look at heaven through the lens of an acorn, but when you die, you emerge an oak tree. It's totally different. It's a totally different reality. Not an acorn heaven, but an oak tree kind of existence. You finally discover your fullest potential. This life is just a seed. This life is a slumber. It's the sleep. When people die, we often have this thought, rest in peace. I want you to know this. When someone dies who believes in Jesus, they don't go and rest in peace. 
for the very first time in their existence, they are truly awakened. For the first time ever, they awaken from a dream and become truly alive. That means right now we're in the sleep state. Right now is the dream state. Right now we're wrestling with whether this is real or not, but when you die, you step from death to life and become truly awake and this is the sleep. It's also the shadows. When we, when we go to a funeral, we feel like we're laying someone into the darkness. Maybe a dream, maybe a relationship has been buried into darkness, but I want you to know that when you pass from death, you step into life and for the first time you step into unimaginable light. For the first time you actually see changes your perspective when you realize that today we're in the fog. Today we're in, this, we're in the shadows. Today it's hard to see, but someday you're gonna step into eternity where you will see for the first time. And we can experience that, an awakening, a light. We can experience some of that potential beginning to grow inside of us before we transition from death into everlasting life. It changes how we live in this life. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way as he wrote a letter, he wrote a couple letters to the church in the city of Corinth. The second letter he wrote to the church that he had started in 2 Corinthians chapter four, he wrote this, though outwardly we are wasting away, although right now you may feel it, you may feel the singe of death, you may feel the pain of suffering, you may carry agony with you on the outside, but inwardly you are being renewed day by day. Something inside of you is growing, everlasting life, eternal life is growing inside of you, roots that are spreading, fruit that's being produced from your life, and this is his promise. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. What we go through on earth is temporary, and that's his point. Live this life as a temporary assignment. Recognize that whatever work you're doing on earth, the payday in paradise is coming. You work hard today because you have the promise of forever life. So we love God by loving others. We serve God by serving others. We, we give generously. We love extravagantly. We serve selflessly. We, we ask ourselves every day, how can what I do today matter forever? Because I know that this life is short and temporary and only God gets to decide the longevity of my assignment, but my responsibility is to be obedient to God and make the most of every moment, not fighting to survive, but making the most of what God's given me, living fully abandoned to him because I know that one day I will step from death into life where I will discover my ultimate potential. An acorn becomes an oak tree, and I see for the very first time the light of God's love, an inexpressible love, and some of you, right now you feel a little bit like Mary and the other Mary who, they go away with fear and great joy, and you're thinking, I need that. I've dragged myself in here through agony and pain. I feel like an acorn covered with a little bit of dirt. And so I want you to pause and reflect. Where do you need to experience the promise of God's resurrection in your life? Would you take a moment and reflect? Look, God's presence is here. And his spirit wants to interact with your spirit. You may not feel it in your mind. You may not feel it in your, in your emotions, but you will experience it in a supernatural spiritual place. Would you allow God to speak to you? Maybe you would even take a moment and pray and reflect on how you can experience the resurrection life. Some of you, it's gonna be by believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Others of you, you believe in Jesus, 
but you're not living like it. You're still holding on to the little fragments of life that remain, but today you can discover what it means to truly live eternal life today, recognizing that this is just a temporary assignment. So would you pause? Would you pray? Would you allow God to speak to you as we sing? Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains My orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested and my life began So after surviving cancer, I um was accepted to Liberty University. And so I remember praying that God would just do whatever it took um, to bring me closer to Him and to just develop that relationship further. And I didn't realize when praying that, that God was going to let happen everything that would happen after that. Um, I'd been dating someone that I really liked and everything was kind of set off by the breakup. My whole life just kind of imploded. I found myself for the first time kind of struggling with depression and suicide. This was a different struggle for me because I was obviously upset during cancer, but this was different. This was something in me, not being caused by something necessarily physical. I didn't know how to deal with that. Um, so I, I went to God and I, I cried out to Him and I didn't hear anything. I didn't feel anything. There was no change, there was no feeling, there was no resolution to the breakup. I had had it because He didn't seem to be anywhere. He didn't seem to care about this and I couldn't understand it. So I walked away from um, caring about God for a little while. I did my own thing. I decided to go teaching English abroad. And by the time I graduated from Liberty, I had a job set up in China. Now I'd come to a place where I was in China. I was on the other side of the world. There were no Christians. Looking back on it, it was definitely me running away from that very painful year at Liberty, um, from the girl, from God. About that time is when I started to feel kind of sick and it got worse and worse. I went to four different doctors, took tons of different antibiotics, and nobody knew why it wasn't getting any better. And so I finally decided that I had to come home. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over me. You have made me. I came back to the United States. Um, my family got me back here and I quit my job and um, I went into surgery so they could do a biopsy just to figure out what it was. They called and said that they had found traces. Uh, the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was, was back. I relapsed. This time I didn't question why. 
I just knew that I had to deal with it. And this time I knew that there was only gonna be one way I get through this, and that's God. What it comes down to for me and every other Christian is that he's there. And he loves us with a love that is unimaginable. My faith right now looks like me just believing that God's got a reason for this. God's got great things for me, that there's a reason why I would have gone through all of this. And that's hopefully so that he'll do something great through me. The hope that I can impact others' lives, that I can make something great out of my name for his name. Um, it's not about me. And I think my, my perspective on hope has changed. It's not just getting through this, it's getting through this to be a better version of, of me in relationship with him. Release from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom, faithfully born. He canceled my debt, and he called me his friend. When death was arrested, my life began.
with God in paradise. That yes to Jesus is a yes over death, a yes over fear, yes to the confidence that God will give you peace in your suffering. He will give you life forever. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost, but Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.